be reading Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 23. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human before, uh, during the next 30 days except you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now your majesty issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, yes, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who was one of your exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as, men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no degree, decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? The da then Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Rock and roll. I love that scripture because it reminds me that essentially when you break it down, there are really two types of people in this world. The first and the second are made up of one defining issue. 
You're either the type of the person that does buy popcorn at the movie theater, or you're the person that vehemently disagrees with anyone who buys popcorn at the movie theater, right? You may have grown up like this. I know I certainly did. I walked into a movie theater, and the first thing you smell is just the butter, it's the salt, it's the smelly, not the smelly chairs, that's later, but you smell the popcorn as you walk in. And every time, and I had three younger siblings, and every time I would try to kind of devise a plan in which mom and dad would let us buy some popcorn at the movie, every time it failed. I'm here to tell you that. Because every time we walked in and kind of drifted our young gaze towards the concession stand, my mom's like, nope, it costs too much. I was like, Mom, come on, it's the movies. And she's like, don't you know it's a 1,275% markup? Like, come on, you can buy this store way cheaper than, than you can at the movies. And I was like, Mom, that's not the point. Like, but she said that costs too much. Some of you are the same way about Starbucks coffee. You're just overwhelmed at the price. And you're like, I will never buy Starbucks. That's way too expensive. Don't you know a latte is a 300% markup? I will never buy bottled water. Same reason. Don't you know it's a 1,000% markup as to what I can get out of my sink right here? And you're like, why would you ever do that? It costs too much. Some of you are the same way about things like tattoos. You're like, I'm never going to get a tat because it costs too much. And maybe it'll even look like this guy. That definitely costs too much, right? No regret. I'm not sure what he was going for, but I think we all know what he was trying to accomplish in that tattoo. But tattoos are the same way. Maybe even for you, you've embarked on a home renovation and you knew you kind of wanted to do a certain project or maybe it was a landscaping deal and you got a quote for it. You had a couple people come out and then they were so high, you said this. I'll just do it myself, <laughs> much to your spouse's chagrin, right? You were like, ah, I can figure it out. Like, I'll look up YouTube or I'll go to Home Depot a few times and eventually I'll get it right. But maybe you've shied away from a project because it costs too much. There are things in our life, and it doesn't have to do with home renovation or popcorn or bottled water, but there's certain things in our culture that we bail on when they cost too much. There's certain commitments and you've seen this in your neighbors and your friends and maybe even your family. There are certain commitments. Maybe it was to be debt-free, to live under your means. And yet the commitment starts to cost a little much and can't go out to eat as much as you'd like or can't do things you want to do as much. And uh, so that costs too much. I'm going to bail on that commitment. I'll get a credit card and do a couple swipes here and there. And then you got to get a bigger house for all the stuff you've bought. And then it's just a trickle effect of crippling debt in your life. And every time the bills come, you're like, oh man, it hurts. Like my commitment to live that way and to be generous and to be a good steward, it, it's costing me now. Maybe for you, you've got friends or family or someone you know that it was a marriage. A marriage started to cost too much. The, the, the cost of staying committed was just too high. And so you or the person you know bailed on that commitment. Maybe for you, it's even something to do with your spiritual walk with Jesus, that there were costs that you just weren't willing to pay, and so you've drifted, you've paid for that. Maybe the cost of being rejected or not knowing the answer to the question or being embarrassed at a family or a work event, and the cost was too high. But we often, and I'm not exempt from this, I can look back in my own history and know that I've often bailed on commitments that cost me too much. And yet, what if there was a better way? Because I know as you dig into what some of those external things are, there's an internal thing too. There's an internal element to it. 
uh, maybe when you talk about your faith, it's like, eh, I could share the good news that has transformed me and shaped me, but what if I get rejected? What if that person asks me a question I don't know the answer to? What if that person thinks differently? What if I get fired? And so we bail on the commitment to share faith. What if it's a fear of maybe standing out? You're like, I, I, I want to follow Jesus. I want to stay committed in my marriage, but I don't want to be like too committed. Like, I don't want to like look like a freak to anybody. So I'm not going to go all the way with that commitment. I don't want to be embarrassed. I'm, I'm tired of really sticking with that commitment. I, I want to avoid that. And I think all of us have asked this question maybe once. Maybe last night, maybe years ago, maybe in the future we will ask it, but it's a simple question. Is following Jesus worth the cost? Is the the cost of commitment to stick with Jesus, even when it means we have to go against the grain, is it worth it? Uh, Is the commitment to follow Jesus worth the cost? I can think of no better teacher for us than Daniel. No better guide to help us figure out What would a life look like that was committed even when it went against the grain, even when times were hard, even when persecution crept in, even in exile, this situation in which Daniel, his friends, his neighbors find themselves as this neighboring country, Babylon, has kind of imposed their reign upon their little city, Jerusalem. And they're there. They're captives in their own country. And Daniel, as a young teenage boy, is faced faced with multiple circumstances in the story of Daniel. If you were here the last three weeks or watched it online, you caught some of those stories. You caught Daniel 1. You just read about the fact that he's brought into this new palace and expected to to pay homage and loyalty to the king by eating all his food. And Daniel says, no, I'm not going to do that. It's against the grain, but he was committed to God. And Daniel kind of can lead us as a guide into that. And that's why we read this whole big chunk of scripture Because this story, though it may be one of the most familiar Bible stories to you, may actually today be able to teach you the most and teach me the most about what it means to follow Jesus, even when it means going against the grain. So the scriptures won't be on the screen. So I'm going to invite you right now, if you want to follow along, grab a Bible or a device and and to kind of track with this story in Daniel 6. Daniel 6, we'll hit a couple different verses that Lindsay already read for us. But in Daniel 6, we find that this young teenage boy is faced and serving this king, Darius the Mede. Now, Darius was a dictator. He was self-centered. He had his own agenda in mind. He had taken over this ruling people and forced teenage boys like Daniel to serve and to kind of be in the government and basically do whatever Darius wanted. He had followed up Nebuchadnezzar, which is the first king in Daniel's story that we read about in Daniel 1. And he follows Belteshazzar, which we heard about the writing on the wall and all that as as Pastor David brought that to us. And now we're in the reign of Darius the Mede, this third king. And we know that Daniel, as Lindsay read for us, it was one of these satraps, these high-ranking Persian officials. And as a teenager, he's faced with some pretty big decisions. And as he grows in maturity, his rank grows, and he's now one of the top administrators for the nation. And so in verse 3, if you've got your scriptures, you see, now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. This guy goes from captive to leader in a matter of years. 
At this, verse 4, the administrators and the satraps, they tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs. But they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. So here's what they decide to do. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. See, all of these conspirators, all of these other satraps that are trying to take down Daniel know one thing, that Daniel's going to be committed no matter what the cost. He's proven that, right? In story after story, Daniel is committed to be a follower of God, the one true God, even when it meant going against the grain. We have a lot to learn from Daniel. Daniel was elevated in the culture because every time a new king would come in, the new satraps and new officials, very similar to when President Trump was elected, many of the government officials and things they turn over, as with Obama, as with Bush, and all the presidents prior. You kind of bring in your people. Yet Daniel stuck around for three kings. This is very unusual. And it's a clue for us that we'll find out later has a lot of meaning. So the conspirators plan to do this. You can see it in verse 7. Since the royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed. This is a big group of people ganging up on little Daniel, right? There's a whole squad of government officials who are saying, we're going to take down this guy because he follows God no matter what. They all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce, so not just write but actually live out, that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except to you, your majesty, talking about King Darius, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now your majesty issued the decree, put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when I read this story, maybe like you have, you can read that part and think, man, this is kind of like a, a mean trick, right? It's like, why are, why are they doing that? And on the surface, it appears to be a political move for Darius. As a dictator with all these government officials saying, hey, there's uh, maybe some, some ties that are breaking in your camp, and you need to make sure everyone is in alignment worshiping you, King Darius. You are the most important thing. All of us should be committed to you. And so you should issue this decree and make sure you enforce it with military power to make sure that anyone who prays to anything, any human or other god, but you, King Darius, should be killed. On the outside, that's a very political decision. But Daniel knows it has a lot more than just political uh, decision at hand. I mean, really for Daniel, this mere political decision has incredible spiritual implications. See, much like the food, no one would have made fun of Daniel for eating the best food in the land. Daniel 1, where he's approached with the king's food, everyone would be like, yeah, go for it. Like, this is the best stuff. This is better than what we had in Jerusalem. Like, eat up. But Daniel says, no, why? Because he remembers that if he does that, he's committing loyalty and allegiance to the diff a wrong and different king than, G than God. And the same thing happens here. He could stop praying, and no one would probably think he's a bad guy for it. Everyone can know, okay, Daniel still follows God, but he's not praying because, you know, there's this law, and he doesn't want to get thrown into the lion's den, which is fair, right? That's a fair thing for Daniel and his friends to think. But Daniel knows that this has incredible spiritual implications for him. If I do this, if I commit, 
to Darius, I am stepping away from my commitment to God. I'm choosing not go against the grain, but actually go with the grain to assimilate in exile versus stand out, versus be different, versus live against the grain. And in verse 7, you read, I mean, we know this story, Daniel and the lion's den. Well, a lion's den is not just the only way in Persia to kill a person, right? There's multiple venues that could have happened. There's stories after story of other ways, other means. And yet this lion's den represents not only death, but humiliation. Because a lion's den wasn't just tucked away in some random corner of the city. Often it was in the public sphere. It was in the square Everyone knew if you're in the lion's den because they're not only going to hear it, they're going to see it. It was very gory. And you don't last very long when you get dropped into a hole with a bunch of lions. Like you don't have to watch Animal Planet to guess that. And so Daniel's thrown into this lion's den, not only because he followed God, but because the other people around him wanted to humiliate him. This brings up an important truth. And I hesitated to, to say this, and I, but I think I need to say this. And in the political climate that we find ourselves in, in the world that you and I as Christians find ourselves in, this truth lifts out of Daniel's story. The world will never persecute you for being just like them. They just won't. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe you face some very serious persecution in your life, but for most of us, Our reality is not daily persecution. I'm not preaching in fear that someone will break down the door and take us all captive. I'm I'm just not. I haven't even thought about that today till right now. But the world will never persecute you for being just like them. They didn't persecute Daniel just because they felt like it. It was because he was so committed, despite cost, that he lived against the grain. He did things that no one else was doing. He prayed to a God in which he knew was his source his strength, and yet everyone else said, man, you could probably downplay that a little bit. Like, Daniel, do you really need to, like, still pray? Do you really need to bust open your windows and let everyone know that you're praying and worshiping God? Like, can't you find a different way? Can't you just read your Bible app, like, in the corner? Like, like don't let anyone know, but, like, can't you just go to work and, and let people know maybe you go to church here and there, but don't, like, talk about Jesus. Like, come on. You could parent, but don't, like, use biblical Principles, don't read the scriptures, don't brainwash your kids, sound familiar. But the world will never persecute you for being just like them. I think it's an important reality for us to grasp, even in this gathering, that right now, across the world, there are people gathered in areas in which the same kind of feeling and the same anxiety that would probably creep up in Daniel would creep up in them. They don't show up to church and not think about the fact that it could be their last day on earth, yet they're committed. And I want to show you a couple pictures and uh, just some ways to let this sink in a little bit deeper. When I first saw those pictures, I didn't immediately think, oh, that's a church. Like, that's a church service. Like, I didn't. I was scrolling through Google Images, I, that wasn't my first thought, yet these are underground churches in which they're in areas of the world in which it's incredibly hostile to the gospel of Jesus, to the good news, to publicly displaying faith, and there's great persecution. Uh, you may know these numbers, but I never stumbled across them quite like this, but 322 Christians have been martyred, 214 churches have been destroyed. And 772 violent acts have occurred against Christians in the last month. 
We're not talking over decades, friends. We are talking about in the last 30 days that there are some serious implications globally to following God, and the world will never persecute you for being just like them. And Daniel, even in exile, has decisions to make about his commitment. If this, is this going to cost me too much, and will I bail, or will I stay committed and keep living against the grain? It causes him, in verse 10, you read, and we watched this story play out, that when Daniel learns about the decree, he goes home, and what's he do? He prays. He keeps praying and worshiping and disobeying Darius in order to obey God. He knows that that's what it will take to stay committed. But verse 19 to 22 is where the story gets really good. In verse 19, we see Darius is kind of stuck in between. A, he's in a tough position. I mean, he was fond of Daniel, and yet he had a decision that he had to stick by his own edict, and he had to enforce it with military power. He ends up throwing one of his best friends, Daniel, into the lion's den, bound by the law. But at the first light of dawn, the king got up early and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, read, committed, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. I just picture Daniel super nonchalant. I don't, know, I don't know how you read the Bible. I just picture him like, duh, like a spiritual duh. Like, may, this, may the king live forever. Uh, yeah, I want to tell you, uh, my God sent his angels, shut the mouth of the lions because I was found innocent in his sight. You know that, Darius. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. Like, that's how I read it. I don't know how you picture the scriptures, but that's how I read it. And in verse 23, we see that the king was overjoyed. He gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den, reversing his initial decision. When Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. He was committed. Despite persecution, maybe even in your life, that may look different than it does in a Chinese house church. That may look like a, a work friend. It could look like a loss of a job. It could look like some, some big decisions you've got to make that maybe not everyone agrees with. Some things you got to stay committed to when everyone else would bail. And despite persecution, know this, that God still prevails. It doesn't matter if you're hidden in a church in, in backwoods Indonesia or you're here in Byron Center, Michigan, you will know and can know that God will still prevail. See, the answer to exile in this case is Daniel stays committed, and we won't read it now, but if you read ahead in the next chapter, Daniel has a dream, and it's the first dream, really, of the kingdom of God. This reign, this, this sphere that all of us live in as Christians in which God will always prevail, in which justice does prevail, in which the good and the beautiful and the true will prevail and God's name will be honored because he's worthy. It's his first glimpse of that. And Daniel, because he was committed, got to see that. But so what? Like maybe you've asked that question when it comes to scripture, like I have, like, uh, okay, like that sounds good. That's great. It's July. Um, what do you want me to do with this? Well, I think Daniel gives us a really easy yet, or I should say very simple, but very difficult plan to live out. He gives us a plan, and it echoes Jesus' words in Luke 9, which we'll read in just a minute. His plan is this. 
That if you want to go against the grain and you want to see God continue to prevail in your life, you and I will decide right now to stay committed despite the cost. We will count the cost, yes. We will know that there are implications. And frankly, we don't know in the, the climate in which we live in the next 10, 20, 30 years what religious freedom, what this church will even look like. And yet, we can decide right now that we will stay committed despite the cost. Despite the persecution, God will still prevail. It reminds me of Jesus' words to his followers in Luke 9, 23. Some of you know the scripture. Some of you memorize the scripture. And I want us to actually read it out together. So let's read it together. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. It sounds like Daniel, doesn't it? That he not only took up his cross, there was suffering. He didn't only deny himself and say, it's not about me, God, it's about you. And he kept following. There were multiple stories in which he could have checked out, taken, a, taken an exit ramp off God's will for his life, but he does not. He stays committed. So how would you and I do that? I mean, how would you and I stay committed despite the cost? Because that's kind of in the abstract. But hey, you and I live in the real world. Tomorrow we'll probably go to work or we'll go on vacation or we'll go do something with our family. And we will have a decision to make probably in that 24-hour period. And here's what we'll do. If you are a Christ follower, if in this room you, you've committed to follow Jesus, you've surrendered your life to him, you and I will do one thing every day that we wouldn't have done before Christ. I mean, think about it. What are the things now that as you follow Jesus, you just never would have done before? Things that seem weird and backward to other people who don't follow Jesus. What are the things that you do? Maybe it's even showing up here is evidence that there's some things that you're doing on a Sunday morning that before Christ you would never have done before. Maybe yesterday as you watched on social media or you served, uh, I don't know about you, but for me, my Saturday morning before Christ wasn't usually filled with serving my community by picking up Tootsie Rolls. I don't know. Maybe yours was. And there's a, there's a good element to that. Even non-Christians get that there's good things to do and good thing to serve, but the difference is the attitude in which you serve. And who you serve. Because before Christ, again, this is my own story. Before Christ, I was around church. I served in the church. But you know who the serving was about? It was me. It was elevating my status. It was making me feel kind of better about myself. Uh, but after Christ and after having a radical encounter and, and the love of Jesus gripping my heart, it became about him. I was willing to do anything for him. And some of you know what that means. You know what that feels like to just have a different attitude. See, I bet we could enlist a lot of groups to do what we did yesterday at Byron Days. I bet there's a lot. But the only one that would volunteer and the only one that had the attitude that you had is you. Is the people whose lives have been changed by Jesus. And the fact that we were competing for who could grab the biggest pile of trash proves that some people have been changed deeply by Jesus is that your life is no longer about you. It's about him. It's about his glory and his name being famous right here in our community. And if you're not a Christian, you're not someone who's fully engaged in, the, in life with Jesus, just keep asking questions. Keep being around this environment. Keep pressing in. Keep studying the scriptures, learning, asking, discovering what it means to follow Jesus. And for you, if if you are a Christian and you choose to do one thing every day that you wouldn't have done before Christ, maybe that starts 
in, I mean, real practically, maybe that starts for you by just getting a solid chair time. We talked about that a few weeks ago, but chair times is dedicated 10 to 15 minutes you have every day to read, reflect, and receive, to read the scriptures, to reflect what is God doing in my life and to receive his power, his strength, and his voice in your day, to invite him into your world, to invite him into your daily life, to invite him into your work, to your school, to your kids, to your parenting, to invite him in. Maybe it means serving. Maybe that means inviting a neighbor on the 19th. What, I don't know what it is, but I know that God is probably speaking to you about that and, and to listen and to follow through. And here's what's ultimately at stake if you think about it. That if we choose to bail on commitments because they cost too much, to not stay committed despite the cost, here's what will happen. We, like Daniel's friends, will assimilate. We will begin to look just like everybody else. Our culture will not be able to tell the difference between us and someone who doesn't follow Jesus. And friends, that will be a tragedy. There should be marked differences. It'll be easier to deny God. It'd be easier to step into situations like Darius. I mean, picture this, President Trump in the very same way. If if you're faced with the exact same situation, would you respond the way that Daniel responds? Would you do the things that Daniel did? And if you choose to not stay committed, to to kind of bail on that, you're voluntarily signing up for a life that's timid, that's gripped with fear, and dare I even say maybe plagued with boredom, because following Jesus half-hearted is boring. But if you choose to stay committed despite the cost, friends, you are signing up for a life that is different, that is actively pursuing God that's devoted, that has an active faith, that reaches out to others, that serves, that that is generous, that has outrageous courage, that maybe in 10 years, you don't think you need courage now, maybe in 10 years you will. And you'll have built up the, the capital of courage in your own life to where you can step out and stay against the grain and stay committed. And friends, ultimately you will know what it means to discover the adventure of following God's will knowing what life with Jesus really could be like. And and I don't know if you want that for you. I certainly want that for you. But Jesus wants that for you. Jesus wants Luke 9, 23, not to be something you've read or heard about in church, but something that you model, something that your life really looks like. And as I spent time away, I just reflected on some of these things and prepared to bring that. And I hope for us that we know what it means to stay committed despite the cost because, friends, following Jesus will not get easier, but it will get better. It will not get easier. It may be more difficult in the next 10, 15 years to follow Christ in the public eye, but it will be better. You will have a life full of adventure. It will be rich. You will know what it means to be a generous person. You'll know what it means to be committed despite the cost. I'd love to pray for you because I know that For many of us, there are situations in which our commitment is tested, maybe even on a daily basis. And I want to pray for those of you who want to stay committed despite the cost. And I don't assume that's everybody, but I know that's some of you today. And I want to pray as we respond in worship. We're going to have a little bit longer time of worship here in the last few minutes, just so we can really listen, really hear from Jesus. And so I'm going to invite you to, to bow your heads and close your eyes as we step into that. And I wonder, I mean, I know I've had seasons in my own life that I need this and I need prayer for this, but I wonder if today, just by 
a quick hand up in the air and right back down. And you'd say, yeah, I'm facing some decisions that are testing my commitment. And I need the Spirit's power and His strength and His victory maybe in some areas to stay committed despite the cost. And if that's you, I'm going to invite you just to throw your hand up real quick. Yeah, yeah. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for just the vulnerability of those individuals who say, man, there are situations right now that are testing my commitment. And God, I think about as we close this series and the story of Daniel today, of how faithful you are to Daniel, of how close you were, of how even in persecution, even in some serious obstacles and problems and circumstances, even in the face of death, God, you prevailed. And you stood true in his life. God, I pray for those individuals today who know that they need just an extra dose of your courage, extra dose of your faithfulness in their life. I pray even in these moments, you'd give that to them, that you'd fill their heart. You'd make them aware. You'd energize their faith and give them passion to follow you despite the cost. God, I pray for us as, as a church, as a group of people who are committed, I pray that our heart would be open and receptive and surrender to you enough that we could stay committed despite the cost. That despite persecution or things pushing against us, we would stand true and stand strong in your name. Deploy us, oh God, into your kingdom. We love you and pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.